everyone, it's Chloe, and I'm so excited to share something fabulous with you, Vogue's first ever global fashion community, Vogue Club. Our members get to mingle with Vogue editors, yes, including me, and fellow fashion enthusiasts at exclusive events around the world. And that's just the start. Membership opens doors to the fashion industry, bringing you expert career advice and insider style and beauty tips. What are you waiting for? Head over to Vogue.com membership to join. And here's a little treat. Use code TRT20 and snag 20% off your membership. That's TRT20 for 20% off your ticket to Vogue Club. Are you in? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Run-Through. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mel. And this week, we are lucky enough to have hot off the tarmac. Literally hot off the tarmac. Nicole Phelps yes. and Mark Holgate. Would you like to introduce yourselves, our friends? I'm Nicole Phelps, and I uh, am the global director of Vogue Runway and Vogue Business. I'm Mark Holgate, and I have got my title. I think it might be fashion feature director now. And global lead on something or other? <laughs> No, it's changed so much. Perfect. I work at Vogue. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> well, I wanted to start with bed bugs. Ooh, why are we starting with bed bugs? Well, I just I think it's it's newsy. It's exciting. <laughs> okay, so what's the deal with bed bugs? Somebody well, Nicole just got off a flight <laughs> and she went straight home and packed up all of her clothes. In plastic bags. In plastic oh, bags. The They're in a freezer now somewhere. Yeah, the freezer is the best way said. to get rid of them. I thought the hot dryer both, also worked. Both. Better. Extreme heat or extreme cold. I'm going to be doing some hot drying. Tend to find works with relationships too. <laughs> <laughs> you want to get rid of a bed bug or a boyfriend. Heard her on the runway. Right, what are we called? Run through. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, when did you get back? I got back uh, Sunday night, but I'd been in London the week of Paris. I went to Milan, but not Paris. Okay. And Nicole, and you no are bugs. hot off the flight. <laughs> I'm hot off the Air France flight. Okay. After one was canceled last night. Oh, Oof. so you re- literally have swooped into the office off a plane. We bow I down. Love, I love the run-through. <laughs> <laughs> we lo- well, the run-through loves you back. Thank you. <laughs> so tell us, what were the best shows? Should we start in Milan? Uh, well, Bottega Veneta for me, was just yet another masterclass for Mathieu Blasé in terms of craft and construction and imagination and narrative and just just a kind of sheer amazement, really, at the kind of level of work that he can create and that his ateliers can create. And it always feels very personal. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting when you lead one of those big Italian artisanal 
quote unquote luxury houses, it, 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 it always just feels so deeply personal with Mathieu, right? There was this whole narrative around the sea and travel and, and different eras and time travel. And it's, it, it all sounds quite abstract and intellectual when you talk about it. But actually, when you saw those clothes, you were just kind of enthralled by what he's capable of and what the ateliers are capable of, no? Agree, yes. And uh, even some humor this time around, too, with the funny uh, shoes and bags made with what looked like banana leaves. Yeah, shoes look fab. Does his stuff sell? Like, do people like that? Are we allowed to talk about they that? Sell to, it sells to very rich people. <laughs> it's very expensive. Everything's out of leather, so it's like, imagine a— Well, that's why I ask. It, it seems very um, unattainable. You know, I just I feel like Chanel is sells because people want that handbag, but I I just am curious whether they they have a hero product yet. Like, is the that new well, bag? I mean, you know, they've obviously got a hero product with the with the shoes and the 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 the, uh, the bags. I mean, you know, the kind of intricato woven leather. I mean, I think I, mean, I think we all came out lusting after something from that. No, I mean, you know, maybe it was a huge bag. I mean, looked fabulous on the runway. I was thinking, oh, could. Then you carry my, on. Then you carry on, or you know, <laughs> I could stick my laundry in it and take it, you know, <laughs> big enough. But um, no, I mean, I think put it's, your bed uh, bug uh, laundry in there. Exactly. Oh, but I would put the, I would not put the bag in the freezer or in the de- <laughs> extreme heat. You know what's good about the intrecciato is uh, the way he's doing it now. They're unlined, and they're really oh, lightweight. Because, wow. you know, luxury bags can be really heavy, heavy, and they're Ooh. a pain to carry, but not Bottega Veneta. Huh. Oh, I and love see, that. I learned how to pronounce it properly as well. Because <laughs> I am a bag lady. I, I, I reject the mini bag trend. I very much appreciate the Mew Mew overflowing bags because that is my life. I'm was that like, on the Mimi runway? All of the bags were like overstuffed, had shoes okay. coming out of them. I was like, there's like a gym, like, you know. <laughs> I also love the band-aids on the feet at Mew Mew. I mean, everything huh? about it was so like, oh my God, I, re- I can relate. Like the collar was tucked on, <laughs> one was tucked in. You just like how, how I show up to most things. Sorry, I'll bounce <laughs> right to the end. Let's keep going. Gucci. Gucci. Sabato de Sarno's debut. So Gucci was a thumbs up or a thumbs down debut? I think a thumbs up from me. Okay. I mean, I thought it was a lot of great clothes. Okay. And a great use of the logo, a great use of accessories. Um, and uh, I think I moved it along a clip and you kind of thought, oh, okay, this, is, this looks good and fresh and exciting and relatable. Yeah. Did it feel markedly different? Because Alessandro's Gucci was so specific, so over the top, so maximalist, granny chic. Was this an appropriate digression? Did it sort of continue that in any way? Beyond the use of the double G, I mean, it was it was <laughs> night and day. I mean, I mean, I loved his. And they needed to be right. In I, I, a way. Yeah, I'm just but wondering. I, and I loved Alessandro's. I mean, yeah. I, I I saw the last show I saw of his was the incredible one with the the twins, which was. Deeply emotional. Again, he's another designer who really taps in deep into his emotions, and and then I think that comes through. And then you have always have a kind of an emotional response to his clothes. Um, but Sabato, I mean, I think it was a, a very clear sense of kind of very accessible, but no less chic idea of what Gucci can be in terms of its craftsmanship and and look. No, but yes, and also. A definite to me, a kind of sense of it wasn't really kind of Tom Ford because it wasn't as kind of 
you know, Tom. Tom Ford Gucciere. Yeah, Tom, because that well, could be quite a kind of extreme. His early training was uh, as a pattern maker at Prada. And so I think you could really tell that he cares a lot about cut and fit, you know, especially with that beautiful gray coat that opened. Mm. And then a few looks later, there's the same silhouette, but sleeveless and black. And I think you'd get a lot of mileage out of something something like that. Really classic and, and pretty timeless, I think. You know, it would last years as opposed to, oh, that's a spring 2024 mm. coat. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, the I'm jeans, also, even. Yeah, and the jeans as well look terrific. I mean, I love the idea of a track suit jacket with a kind of glossy leather skirt and a stiletto sling back. Probably what I'm going to be wearing next spring. But, uh, <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> did. Well, speaking of Tom Ford, what did we think of that? There were so many um, August I, debuts this season. I think Peter had a very... In a way, daunting task because he had to follow in the footsteps of someone he'd worked for for 25 years, someone that he's very close to, someone that he thinks of really, I think, as a friend and a mentor. And I thought Peter did a great job. I mean, I think he really brought the two worlds of uh, Tom Ford, the men's and the women's together really beautifully. And I think he really is such an amazing tailor. And the make looked, I think, exceptional. And I loved the color palette as well. I thought that was really great. Um, and I thought it was a terrific start. It was nice to see his wife there cheering cheering him on. And yeah. that's something that you you talked I a did. lot about in your interview, the relationship that she has with him and as a sort of hmm. uh, muse. You, you know, I met with Peter a few weeks before the show, and he's someone that's very generous about the people around him and the people that he works with and... And he was talking a lot about the importance of Whitney. And they actually met working together at Gucci. Um, she was working directly with Tom. And he was, I think, just a kind of a menswear designer. Um, but they have, I think, a very strong relationship and a very close relationship. And it's a very supportive, uh, mutually supportive relationship. And, you know, I think he was very keen to pay tribute to her and you know, the, 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 I think the support she gave him through this kind of process of taking on this role. And it was great to see her sitting front row the show because she just was beaming with pride um, at her husband's debut. Amazing. What else happened in... Is there anything we else in the We can't not talk about Prada. I would Prada say if I'm not great. in the tracksuit, glossy skirt and sling back... <laughs> I know what you're going to be in, the barn jacket. The barn jacket and the fringe. I mean, I have to say, <laughs> I thought it was exemplary Prada. It yeah. was a really terrific collection. Yeah, I, I like that the soundtrack of Vertigo is playing. Yeah. I know it was. It, it it actually put me down a rabbit hole last night. I looked at like so many old Prada shows and listened to the soundtrack. Oh wow, that's um yeah, with a friend of mine who came over and we were just like, <laughs> <laughs> definitely sounds like it was a superlative Prada season. Yes, um, I mean Mew Mew too. I mean, great to see a woman leading the charge. Oh my and god, the best do we need to talk about season. that? Yes, we do. Top of the show. Yes, we need to talk about it. There was a lot of change this season. One in particular, Sarah Burton at McQueen, it was a very emotional goodbye. I mean, even just for me watching it on my phone, I felt how emotional it was. She got a standing ovation. I mean, Naomi you, Campbell cried a single tear. I mean, and Naomi aside, I think that there were others who were also, you know, I just love that everybody gave her a standing ovation. People were hugging her, you know, Tim Blank, Sarah Moa, like it was very, felt very emotional. I, I would agree. I mean, I, I think the thing with Sarah is that, again, like Peter Hawkins, she worked there almost her entire yeah. career. I mean, she started with 
uh, Lee McQueen after she graduated. She worked as an intern. So she'd been there for 20 plus years. So it was her whole life and her whole life had gone into that, that house. And I do remember seeing her first show after Lee McQueen had passed away. And it was also a very, very emotional moment, very emotional experience. And one can love Sarah for the work and the incredible kind of work and the thought and the kind of craftsmanship and the sheer feats of imagination. But also, maybe this is more of a personal thing for me, but I also just loved the way that she was present, but then also kind of removed herself from the industry and, you know, really let the work speak for itself. I think she did it with always the, with the most kind of grace and elegance and she'll be very much missed. Hmm. All to say that there are very few women at the head of major houses. And if you look because at the Because they stats, just announced her replacement, who is a, a man, gentleman. yes, Sean McGurr. Yeah, so after Sean was announced, there was a flurry of online reaction sort of doing a grid of all of the faces of the brands at Caring and the creative directors are all white men. But it's not just Caring. And then there were lists that followed that yeah. showed that every major fashion conglomerate basically had There's rosters. There's gender inequity. In the, I mean, not just gender. It's a problem, I think. When I think of all my favorite female designers, they're all independent. They all have very, you know, um, singular points of view. Like, why do we think this is happening? It's an interesting question because obviously, you know, there are major, major talents. As you're saying, Shoma, young, independent, or not so young, independent female designers. I mean, you just think about, you know, Martine Rose and Grace Wells Bonner in London, or Simone or Roxanda. You know, you think about Bianca Saunders, you think about, you know, Marine Sarah in Paris. It's a good question, and I I don't actually have the answer. Mm. There probably should be more women in all different departments across Agreed. fashion. Yeah. And when there are more women in the C-suite and elsewhere, there will start to be more women designers. Yeah, and hopefully also people of color. Like, we can't forget that, I think, after the, the conversation that we had, you know, a few years ago. It feels like, I don't know, I'm not sure if addressing this like this system that is not in balance like we're out of balance you know and I think you're right it's not something you can fix overnight either those people women need to be mentored nurtured it takes it takes time for a system to really change and for there to be equity you know in a system because it just feels like it's not there's something out of out of balance here I mean I thought it was interesting uh Watching the uh, Maria Grazia show for for Dior, her, her, her Dior show, and she brought in a, was that an artist? Who, yes, an Italian who, artist who very kind of specifically kind of questioned the hierarchical the systems and very very critical of it. But she seemed, seemed an interesting. I mean, I, I I find her I find Maria Grazia very interesting, and I like the work, and I like the way that she seems to be kind of challenging from within the whole idea of being you know. At a, established esteemed French couture house and has been quite unabashed about really bringing her personal politics and preoccupations to bear in the house, which I think has been terrific. And I was kind of interested what you thought, Nicole, about the actual show in terms of that narrative and how that played out. I would say that the clothes themselves and the the artwork around it, I didn't feel a lot of uh, sort of, you know, merging and intermingling. Right. Um, mm. it felt It felt like a backdrop. You know, on the other hand, I think you could say the way that Marie, Maria Grazia designs is sort of feminist to 
you know, to start with. Well, it's honest about it. It's right? honest. And it's, and it's not a kind of sense of gilding or adorning. Such exceptional, um, you know, embroideries. But mm. I really think that word honest that you use is so good because, uh, you know, women are crazy for it. It sells really, really well. And I think there is a, it is, you know, at least in part because she is a woman designing for, for women and uh, sort of gets what, you know, what it takes to get through get through the day. The run-through will be back in just a moment. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. This podcast is supported by Macy's. Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a backyard staycation, Macy's has what you need this summer. Shop the easiest and breeziest brands like Nina Parker, Vince Camuto, and Dolce Vita. Macy's has all your must-have items from sundresses to matching sets to wedges, beach bags and towels, you name it. Stock up for summer at Macy's. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style today. That's Macy's.com slash own your style. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I felt like that you really felt the effect of the strike. There were absolutely, it was a season of day wear. Like nobody's, mm -hmm. they're not dressing anyone oh, to go anywhere. I thought you were going to mm -hmm. say because there were so many celebrities front row. There were, but I just, yes. But I just felt like there were no, there, were, there was not that much evening wear. Like mm. it felt like, okay, no one's going anywhere. We don't have any red carpet. I mean, maybe that's just incidental, but it, it obviously uh, there are other reasons. I think people are stripping back and wanting to get to yeah. maybe honest is like where people want to be and dressing for real life feels mm. more important right now, more urgent right now. No, I did love it at Mew Mew, the idea that you wore your sparkly cocktail dress with a T-shirt under it, <laughs> and a, right, and a sandal. And maybe you held the shoe. I felt like there was a lot of holding of shoes. Yeah, the, the Balenciaga, Balenciaga. shoes. The handbags were amazing at Balenciaga. Yeah. We, didn't talk, we didn't talk about Balenciaga yet. Let's talk about Kathy Gate. <laughs> it wasn't what? just Kathy. Kathy Horan, who is the longtime New York Times fashion reviewer and now writes uh, fashion criticism and features for New York Magazine. She wrote about the experience of walking in the Balenciaga show. And there was a sort of pearl clutching moment when she walked in Balenciaga <laughs> oh, that it was like, oh, how does she maintain her objectivity while walking in a show, which I, I, I think, think it was pretty, silly. pretty nervy of her to do it, knowing how uh, catty everyone in the fashion industry <laughs> is. And, you know, everyone had had an opinion, I'm sure. Right. I mean, Matt Schneider did it 
For Vaccaro, yeah. For yeah. Vaccaro. For he the even, New York Times. And he got the Vaccaro walk down as well. <laughs> Joe Ellison did it for Dolce & Gabbana. Yeah. Oh, there really? is a history of yeah, this. There yeah. is. Oh, yeah. I like this. Okay. Yeah. I got asked once, but I, the, the brand shall remain nameless. <laughs> What was, made you I, say no, Mark? I was so flattered, but also deeply shy and mortified. So I was like, <laughs> so Demna really cast this with women that he admired and and his husband to, too. Yeah, and his husband was the bride, right? right? Yeah, I love that. Okay, and did we like the show, or we just liked the pop and circumstance of the show? I liked the uh, the fact that a lot of those pieces were made with upcycled and found uh, found items of clothing. And anytime a, a designer is doing that kind of thing, I think it sends the right message. There's a lot of stuff in the world, and we all need to figure out how to become more conscious consumers. And, and the, the fact that he could make really, really glamorous evening dresses out of those, out of used clothes, used dresses at the end, all of like that turquoise dress, mm. that gold dress, mm. those were all like found, wow. found dresses. Mm. I love those. Yeah, I also loved there was one, there was ones that looked like they were slightly wrinkled, as well, which seemed to refer to the couture show that he did. You remember they did that incredible couture show? It was it was all the kind of t shirts and pants looked like they'd been kind of wet and then dried on the body. They had these all of these kind of wrinkles and creases kind mm. of built in. Um, but I agree with Nicole. I mean, also what I love about Demna's work is that it's there's there's consistency there as well. So when you buy into Balenciaga, it does not feel disposable. It does not feel that it's something that's a one-season wonder. You know, I mean, I liked all of the kind of bias-pleated dresses. That's something he's kind of done before. I like the kind of oversized outerwear. It's things he's done before. I mean, there's a kind of language in the narrative there that feels very true to him. Um, and Isabelle Huppert narrated it, which I love. Yes, I thought the soundtrack was incredible, the way it built and built and what built. What was she saying? She was uh, talking about how you make a jacket. Oh, wow. So he's still keeping his sort of last season's focus on... The, the art of making clothing. Yes, I yeah. think he wanted it to, you know, what he was saying backstage is that, uh, you know, what was the quote that Sarah used in the review? I can't castrate myself. Like, he <laughs> it, he just has to be him. <laughs> and it felt really, uh, it felt really personal. And those are the best shows, I think, mm. when they feel personal. Agreed. What was, what is an example of a show that you unexpectedly loved? Well, Maison Margiela was my season highlight. Yeah, everyone was saying that. It was stupendous. That. It was stupendous. Mesa Margiela, another story about designer making incredibly beautiful pieces with scraps. Mm. Those hats were made wow. out of wire and bin bags, as the Brits say. <laughs> and, Incredible. Uh, yeah. Gorgeous silhouettes for evening, but then just really, really good tailoring. I mean, for me, unexpectedly... Max Mara. And that's no um, criticism of all the kind of, you know, wonderful things that Max Mara makes, all those beautiful camel coats. But I love this Max Mara show in Milan. I thought it was great. I mean, a ton of cotton, a ton of really great kind of uh, jackets, kind of casual kind of utility jackets. Um, Really beautiful color palette. I don't know if I already said that, but I thought the color palette was great. I love the fact that everything looked kind of washed and a little bit worn and comfortable. People were talking about the undercover show. That was excellent, too. But I was not surprised to like that because I okay. always like Undercover. Jun Takahashi is just so talented and season after season surprises. He's warped in the best possible way. Ooh, nice. Nicely mm. put. 
He was talking about uh, loss last season, and he was still talking about it, losing people who he was close to. And I think he's sort of feeling his middle age, Hmm. thinking about mortality a little bit. And so he he ended the show with these incredible dresses that were uh, basically terrariums full of plants, living plants and living butterflies. With sort of— But no bed bugs. (laughs) Thank God. And they were lit very beautifully. They almost looked like jellyfish to me. Yes. Um, they lit up as they came down the runway. Wow. Mm. Yeah. It felt like Usher was having a moment. What, what was the front row like? Were there any folks you Usher was in seen? town doing concerts. Right. A lot of people went to see Usher during Paris Fashion he's Week. He's going to be doing the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's been on the show. We, he's a big we, fan we of Rick Owens. With Usher. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, my only, only thing when he went to Balenciaga is I might have lost the face mask. That was the only, I mean, he wore this kind of incredible jacket and kind of semi con- semi concealing face mask I might have lost the mask. Hmm. Oh, right. Okay. And then Fair. to Marnie he wore like a Horton wears a here's a who polka dot thing. Yes, Erica Badu was in a similar okay. polka dotted outfit and she was there as and well. And she was like the cat in the hat. She was also on the soundtrack of the of the um Bottega show. Yeah, she, she, she was she at sang. Bottega. Yeah. And she was at Bottega. Yeah. And looked amazing as she does. Yeah, what was Marnie like to be there? Well, it was incredible because it was as, at Karl Lagerfeld's old house in Paris mm, oh, on wow. the Rue de l'Université in his Hotel Particulier, if that's how you say it. And uh, I had never been there. A lot of people in, in fashion have all obviously been there because Karl used it as a place to do photo shoots. Um, sometimes uh, it has been emptied out of all of his stuff. And Francesco at Marnie put these sort of like balloon-like seats, so we were all bouncing up and down oh, wow. as we waited for Erica and Usher. <laughs> and uh, and then the the collection culminated in these incredible evening dresses that were made from cut-out flowers or cut-out wow. prints of flowers. And I, at first, I thought, "Oh my gosh, it's a dress made of stickers," because they were sort of coming off. But it was fabric that he had mm. printed, and um, and then you know each of the each of them were cut out and really like couture. Mm-hmm. Did people care about Rick Owens? I like that older um, models too. Yeah, Saint I mean, I'd say both Rick and YSL. Those were two shows I would love to see, particularly Saint Laurent, because I just, I mean, I love the way that Anthony Vaccarello has kind of constantly kind of challenged himself and rethought his relationship to the house, both in terms of its its you know legacy, heritage, and I just thought this was like a super chic show. The safari jumpsuits were great. Yeah, and amazing. usually I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, I like Saint Laurent, but this time I was like, oh, More like, cotton. Yeah. More cotton. It's true. It's true. I like going to Saint Laurent now because uh, Anthony is so confident. You know, mm. he does these mm. shows and it's a very, very strong message. And sometimes, you know, like last season, it's just one thing. You know, it's just this really strong jacket. And that uh, when a designer is confident like that, it's pretty hard to resist. Yeah. Real coverage of his convictions. It's very impressive. How do you think we did as a fashion month as far as size diversity? Oh, still feels a bit kind of tokenistic. I Sadly, I'd left Milan by the time, and I've forgotten the name of the designer. Caroline Vito. Yeah, I wish I'd seen that because I huh. thought that looked kind of terrific. 
She's based in the UK, and Dolce & Gabbana each season work with Katie Grant to identify an up-and-coming uh, designer, most often from London. And this season, it was Caroline Vito, and she uh, is very, you know, that is her thing. She wants to put women who you don't see on the runway most of the time on the runway. And, you know, she, when when I saw her backstage, she was talking about that. I hope I can, you know, by doing this, I can I can show other designers that, that it can be done mm. and cool clothes too right very mm. very body con mm-hmm. and you know lots of cutouts and doing very interesting things with um like silver uh almost like ergonomically bent pieces that stretch across the the cutouts yeah i was sad that estimanas have kind of taken a bit of a pause they did a show last season that was incredible uh in a church they made a very strong statement and really committed to the idea of, again, like Nicole was saying, about just trying to diversify the runway to be just mm. more reflective of everyone, not just a very narrow, no, no pun intended, idea of, of beauty mm. or physicality. I did love seeing Yuzult. She wore one of those beautiful rose dresses at Cannes. Okay. So she walked the show, I think, for the first time, and she also walked to Balenciaga. Mm. She's a curvy woman, and it was very... It was really great to see. Mm. I mean, I also would kind of praise Virginie Vallard at Chanel for actually yeah. uh, diversifying her runway too. I mean, she's something she's conscious of and she's she's doing as well. Yeah, a lot of the time it is, going back to the you know discussion about women designers, a lot of the time it's women designers who are doing this. And uh, another reason we need more of them. Size inclusivity, sustainability, women lead on, on all of the things. Just saying. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, Mark. Thank, Thank you, you, guys. Thank Love you. having you. That was really fun. That's it for this episode of The Run Through. The Run Through Evoke is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. The show is produced by Susie Lechtenberg, Chelsea Daniel, and Alex John Burns. It's engineered by Jake Loomis and Gabe Kiroga and mixed by Mike Kutchman. See you soon. Bye. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th.